You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. While many advisors are familiar with the taxation of superannuation death benefits, one area which they may not be so familiar with is the tax treatment of death benefits paid to non-resident beneficiaries. And while the tax rules may provide identical outcomes, that's not always going to be the case. And there are some important tips and traps advisors need to be aware of. My name, my name is Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here to discuss this interesting issue with me is Tim Sanderson and Linda Bruce. Hey, guys. Hey, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi, Linda. Hey, Tim. How are we all? Yeah, going well. Thanks. Good. Fabulous. Marvellous. I'm running out of adjectives, Craig. Yeah. yeah. How's, how's orange going today, Tim? Yeah, we're starting to get some better weather now. We're out of winter, so really uh, enjoying that. Nice, nice. Did you get any snow this winter? Uh, my very small amount, not like previous years. Right, which is bizarre. The, the ski yeah. season's are arriving a bumper ski <laughs> season, but but orange, no, not so much snow this year. Now, um, as per the intro, it seems to be increasingly common these days that a deceased member's death benefit ends up being paid to non-tax dependent beneficiaries who are living overseas, i.e. a non-tax resident. So how does this end up happening? So, Linda? Well, we... Uh, have a lot of migrants, right? We could have a client who has migrated to Australia, uh, eventually passed away. Uh, however, they might still have beneficiaries such as adult children or parents or other close family members. Uh, they are still living overseas. Right. What about you, Tim? Have you seen any? Yeah, so one I've seen a couple of times um, is involves a client, um, clients who, you know, have never been non-residents, but their adult children, son or daughter, moving overseas for work and then settling down permanently after meeting someone, getting married and staying overseas. Right. Okay. So, well, well, it sounds like you might sit there and go, well, that's, is that going to be all that common? It's probably actually quite common. Um, so before we get into actually how those non-tax resident issues apply, just to give us a recap of how these rules work, Tim, can you remind everyone, you know, who is eligible to actually receive a death benefit under the super rules? Yeah, so under the, uh, the CIS super rules, um, a death benefit has to be paid as soon as practicable to um, a CIS dependent um, or the client's legal personal representative um, or a combination um, so if it goes to the legal personal representative, it then gets distributed in line with the client's um, the client's estate, so whether that's their will or um, intestacy rules. Um, CIS dependents include a spouse, child of any age, a financial dependent or an interdependent relation. And all of those dependents and LPR can receive a lump sum, but there are additional restrictions when it comes to receiving a death benefit as an income stream. Um, so restrictions on no LPR and only cert children can receive. 
Um, so, so yeah. there, is there is there any residence require, requirements around any of that? No. So, interestingly, um, the beneficiaries aren't subject to any residence criteria. Um, so, recipients can be tax residents of Australia or non-tax residents of Australia. Um, and I suppose the recipient who ends up receiving it via the estate, if it goes first to the legal personal representative, um, they could also be a non-tax resident. All right. Okay. So. For an Australian tax resident, if we just do a recap here in terms of how death benefits are going to be taxed, do you want to just run us through how that's going to work if if they take a death benefit as a lump sum? Sure. Um, so if the recipient is a tax dependent of the deceased, then it's really simple. The whole lump sum is completely tax-free. It's not treated as assessable income. And so tax dependence in that case, slightly different to cis dependence. So it includes spouse former spouse, minor children, financial and interdependent relations Mm -hmm. um, at a a high level. If it's going to a non-tax dependent instead, then it really comes down to the components that make up that lump sum. So tax-free component, completely tax-free, but any taxable component, that will be included in the beneficiary's assessable income, but not necessarily taxed at their whole marginal tax rate. There'll be a a tax offset that will apply to cap the tax rate, either at 15% plus Medicare levy for the taxed element or 30% plus Medicare levy for the untaxed element. And I mentioned that that's a cap tax rate. So if the beneficiary's marginal tax rate actually ends up being lower than those rates, the marginal tax rate applies instead. Um, there's also the issue of super fund withholding. So super funds will normally withhold tax based on those capped rates that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the beneficiary hasn't provided their tax file number, then 47% of the taxable component will be the, the withholding amount. And then at, at, at the end, where that withholding amount is actually different to the actual amount of tax, that's then corrected when the beneficiary submits their tax return. Okay, so that gets cleaned up there. Yeah, that's right. So a high-level example, um, if a beneficiary who's a non-tax dependent receives $100,000 worth of taxable component as a lump sum death benefit, if they've got no other income, then the first, the tax-free threshold of theirs, $18,200, that'll actually be taxed at their marginal rate of zero. But anything beyond that, because their marginal rate would be higher than, let's say, 15%, being the cap rate that applies in that case, um, the 15% rate would then apply to the remainder. Okay. So I suppose how is it then different if the lump sum benefit is paid to the LPR and distributed to like, an Australian tax resident beneficiary via the, the deceased estate? How does that work? Yeah, so the estate is actually um, taxed on that lump sum which has been received. But the tax depends on the extent to which uh, beneficiaries of that amount when it's received by the estate is used to benefit either tax dependents or non-tax benef- uh, dependents of the deceased. So the estate's really to the extent that a non-tax dependent will receive that amount, um, the estate needs to be taxed on that as if it were that non-tax dependent. So broadly, the same tax rules apply, those rates that we mentioned, but no Medicare levy applies in that case. And also in this case, unlike direct payments, the super fund won't withhold any tax in that situation. Um, And 
to the, the extent that that tax does apply in that situation, it's, as I mentioned, the estate is the one that pays the, the tax. And so that's the lesser of that cap rate and the estate's marginal tax rate. And then there's no tax consequences for the beneficiary who then receives that amount. That, that will be non-assessable, non-exempt income when paid from the estate to the beneficiary. Okay, thanks, Tim. And that's all really important because it gives us, you know, just a recap of how death benefits are treated and taxed in the hands of tax resident beneficiaries. So now, Linda, let's have a look at these non-tax resident beneficiaries. So commonly, these beneficiaries are living overseas, um, you know, potentially adult children or a relative of a deceased client, as we went through before. Um, these beneficiaries, however, are generally going to be non-tax dependent. So is it possible for non-tax resident dependents to receive a death benefit from a deceased member's super fund in Australia? Yes, it is possible. Uh, it all comes down to the same rules that Tim explained earlier. So we needed to look mm-hmm. at uh, whether the beneficiary is a CC dependent or not. So let's have a look at uh, if the beneficiary who is residing overseas, but the beneficiary is actually a CIS dependent. So we're talking about like adult child, typically of the deceased member. So two ways can make it happen. So the first way to make it happen is that um, to nominate the adult child, uh, even though they're living overseas, but it doesn't matter. They can still be nominated as a, uh, a death benefit um, beneficiary through a binding or non-lapsing nomination. As usual, that's not a problem at all. So if the nomination is valid in the event of the member's death, uh, the fund will pay uh, that amount uh, to the cis uh, dependent, such as adult child, uh, even though they're living overseas. So alternatively, the deceased member can direct their super death benefit uh, to the deceased state by nominating the LPR uh, to receive the death benefit. And then they can incorporate in their will uh, for the executor of the state uh, to pass the death benefit to that deceased dependent uh, via the deceased state. So as, as we said before with Tim, you know, when, when we're looking at the, the beneficiaries, we're just looking at whether they're a dependent or not. We're, we're actually not looking at whether they're a, a tax resident or not. That's correct. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, what if the non-tax resident beneficiary is a family member but who is not a CIS dependent? So, for example, a niece or a nephew or a non-financially dependent parent? Yeah. Uh, in that case... Um Generally speaking, they are not a financial dependent. Uh, let's just assume that they're not a, a financial dependent of the deceased member. They're not living mm-hmm. together, so they could not have an interdependency relationship. So let's just say they're not CIS dependent. The question is mm-hmm. how to make it happen. So if they're not CIS dependent, well, uh, they cannot, generally speaking, they cannot receive uh, the death benefit directly from the super fund. Uh, However, what the member could do is to direct the payment uh, to the deceased state um, to have the LPR receive the payment. And then the the member can incorporate again, incorporate these family members in a will. So the executor can follow the will and pay the super debt benefit uh, to these uh, non-cease dependent uh, through, through the deceased state uh, to make it happen. 
Okay, so what we're saying here is the same rules apply regardless of whether the beneficiary is a tax resident or a non-tax resident. That's that correct, right? yes. All right, now obviously the, the elephant in the room we haven't mentioned yet is how about tax law? So a tax consequence is different when a lump sum death benefit is paid to a non-dependent beneficiary? So at, on the surface, uh, we're looking at exactly the same sections. Uh, of the 97 Tax Act. Uh, so without going into the nitty-gritty details, uh, but uh, on a very, very high level, uh, we are still talking about what the team mentioned earlier. Uh, so we're looking at whether the beneficiary, although they're living overseas, but are they a tax dependent or not? Mm -hmm. uh, if the tax beneficiary is a tax dependent, then the whole entire lump sum death benefit payment would be completely completely tax-free. Um, it's not very rare for a non-resident beneficiary to be a dependent, tax-dependent, but it can happen. Um, the deceased member could have a minor child who's residing overseas. I don't know why, what the situation could be, maybe divorce situation, the spouse left, I don't know, but certainly. Schooling, schooling, <laughs> being, schooling. being sent to a fancy school yeah. somewhere because the Australian school system's not good enough for some Absolutely. reason. Yeah, that, yeah there, there might be reasons. It's not what you're saying, though, is it's not common for a a tax dependent to be living overseas. That's right. It's not common. Yeah. yeah. So for the common scenario where the beneficiary living overseas is not a tax dependent, such as adult child, then the tax component of the lump sum death benefit uh, is taxed at a maximum uh, 15% for the tax element, 30% for the untaxed element, and no tax payable for the tax-free component, just like what Tim said earlier. Mm, okay, yeah. Cool. So are, there any, so are there any other issues we need to be aware of here? I'm getting the gist that you're setting me up to say there are. Ah, there are. So yeah. as I mentioned, on the high level, it seems that the same sections of the tax law applies, but how those rules are administered in reality, uh, or practically speaking, that it can be quite different. Uh, so if we're comparing uh, with a resident beneficiary, uh, at a high level, there are some differences. So to start with, the withholding tax can be different, and a Medicare levy can be different because a non-tax resident who's living overseas is not required to pay Medicare levy. And then mm -hmm. we are talking about a tax rules of, uh, of another country. The person is a tax resident of another country. So naturally, we need to consider the double tax agreement that can change uh, the scheme of things. Um, mm -hmm. And lastly, um, Again, like what Tim mentioned earlier, uh, how the beneficiary received the uh, death benefit payment, uh, are they receiving it, if eligible, are they receiving it from the super funder directly because they're nominated beneficiary, or are they receiving the death benefit through the deceased state? Uh, the tax rules can again be administered, administered very, very differently. All right, so let's have a look at where the lump sum death benefit is going to be paid directly to the non-resident beneficiary. So how are the tax rules administered there? Yeah, so uh, the uh, similarly uh, under the Australian rules only, the super fund is required to withhold 
attacks. <laughs> Sorry, that's my dog. Just keep going. <laughs> I saw the gas only be inside of our social security. Uh, I know, I know. I think my daughter's just coming from home from school. But anyway, he loves to he loves to make a contribution to every podcast. Fantastic. Anyway, let's just keep let's going. Let's get going. So what are we saying? We're saying that the super fund is required to withhold a tax when the super fund is making a payment uh, to a beneficiary who's not a tax dependent. So um, because the non-resident doesn't, uh, doesn't need to pay Medicare levy, as we mentioned earlier, the withholding tax is actually 15% on the tax element and 30% on the on-tax element. And there's no requirement for the super fund to withhold any Medicare levy, uh, which is 2% at the moment. So we are talking about 2% less uh, withholding tax compared with a resident non-tax beneficiary. Yeah, okay. and um, I suppose uh, Tim mentioned the no TFN tax. Uh, it's yeah, so there's a bit of a trap here. It isn't is it? because it's um, yeah. um quite a common for a resident beneficiary to just automatically provide a tax tax for number to the fund. So we don't usually have to worry about a no TFN tax. However, some of the non-resident beneficiary may never ever uh, you know, come to Australia in the past and they may never you know, to have a tax for number. Most likely they won't have a tax for number. So if they don't know and if they don't provide the tax phone number to the super fund. The fund is required to withhold a 45% no TFN tax, not a 47%, 45% because we don't have, don't have to worry about the Medicare levy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, big tax saving yeah. there. Wow. So you've got a non-resident beneficiary such as, you know, family of someone that's migrated to Australia don't know what a tax file number is in the first place, let alone the fact that they need to have one. So in this situation, there's a $100,000 superannuation death benefit going to be paid to them. They can't nominate a a TFN to the fund. So the fund's going to deduct $45,000 worth of no TFN withholding tax. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's going to be a bit of a surprise. Yes, but the good news is... The no TFN tax is not a final withholding tax. So uh, the beneficiary can eventually lodge an Australian tax return and get the excess uh, withholding tax refunded. Uh, But, you know, uh, in the end, uh, we're still talking about uh, the 15% tax um, on the um, uh, tax element and the 30% tax on the uh, uh, on tax element. Why we're not talking about the capping? Um, just remember, the foreign residents, every single dollar uh, will be taxed at a minimum 32.5% marginal tax rate. So mm-hmm. that's already higher than those tax rates, right? So we'll just talk about a flat rate of 15% on tax element and 30% on, on tax element. Um, but yep, so, yep, go on. Yeah, so I was just saying um, that means you want to lodge the tax return, Craig. They they needed to apply for an Australian tax file number at some stage, and if they don't know what to do, or they just automatically thought forty five percent is the tax they have to pay, 
they will lose, donate a lot of money <laughs> to the ATO. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they know what to do, they will still have to apply for the tax for number in any case to get the excess amount uh, refunded. So, you know, just um, good to, to apply for the TFN and give the TFN to the fund uh, to avoid the 45%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. The, the moral of this story is is don't go and get the TFN after the death benefit has been paid because then you've got the hassle of actually getting a non-resident to submit an Australian tax return to get the, the, the no TFN tax refunded. And the important thing there to understand is it's, a, it's not a final tax um, liability of the no TFN tax. So you can get it back, but you don't want to have to go through that process of one, applying for the TFN and then having to lodge a tax return and go through that process. Much, much, much better if, you've, if you're if you an advisor um, with a client in this type of situation and there's money going to be heading off overseas, get those uh, get the surviving clients to talk to those beneficiaries, get them to apply for a TFN before the death benefit is paid and that way the appropriate amount of withholding can be applied and, and you're not actually subject to that 45% withholding. That's right. That's right. And a beneficiary has more money uh, risk, uh, paid to their yeah, hands sure. and they have money, more money to invest or do whatever they want to do with it. Now, you also mentioned double tax agreements. So I assume this means a DTA can change the application of a funds withholding tax under Australian tax rules? Yeah, is that, yeah. Is that Absolutely. Qu- quite possibly. Um, you know, we, we are dealing with uh, beneficiaries living in a foreign country. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we do need to consider the double tax agreement if there is one. Uh, if there isn't one, of course, there's nothing to refer to. But there is, if there is one, we need to look at the, the terms and conditions of that specific double tax agreement uh, between the two governments. So, you know, the possibilities might be the double tax agreement, if there is one, but the double tax agreement doesn't address the issue. It's actually silent on the lump, lump sum death benefit payment. Um, if that's the case, uh, we not only have to consider Australian tax rules, uh, but also this lump sum payment could be subject to foreign tax as well. Very, very important to seek independent tax advice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, on the other hand, I know you're going to ask me, what if the DTA does address the issue then mm-hmm. it depends on the wording right it really depends on uh, what the dta says dta double test agreement <laughs> sorry about the abbreviations mm. so even the dta mm-hmm. says um you know a specific country has a taxing right over this lump sum payment uh, and if it says only australia can tax this t- lump sum then generally speaking this means um this lump sum payment uh, would only be subject to the Australian tax rules. And generally speaking, it will not be subject to foreign tax. And the normal withholding rules that we mentioned earlier will apply. On the other hand... Okay. Yeah, yeah what's going to happen if, if it's taxed? Well, the DTA says it's taxed in the other country. Yeah, if the DTA says Australia has no rights to, to tax it and only the foreign country has a right to tax it, then... That means the Australian Super Fund should not, really, they should not withhold any tax. Uh, this is a case mm-hmm. regardless of whether uh, the tax phone number is provided or not. And then it's really up to the tax rules in 
the relevant foreign yeah, country. Yeah, absolutely. They have the technical right. And we, yep. and we can't help you. We so please, please don't call and ask us how death benefits are taxed in Chile. We don't we know. know. <laughs> um, so what if the lump sum death benefit is directed to the deceased state and then paid to the non-resident beneficiary via the deceased estate? So how are the tax rules administered there? The rules are administered quite differently, Craig. Uh, as Tim mentioned, there are some differences when uh, the death benefit is paid to the deceased state. Uh, it also applies, the same rules apply where the beneficiary, eventual beneficiary, uh, is a, um, um, a foreign resident. It all comes down to whether the eventual beneficiary is a tax dependent or not. So let's think about it. If uh, the LPR of the deceased state, or you want to call it executor of the deceased state, uh, pays the member deceased member's super death benefit uh, to a eventual beneficiary who is a tax dependent, then the whole entire payment would be tax free. So no one needs to pay any tax whatsoever. But the situation we're talking about here is that the beneficiary of the deceased state is residing overseas and also is a non-tax dependent. Then mm -hmm. the tax law also, uh, actually says. In that situation where the eventual beneficiary to receive the death benefit is not a tax dependent, it's the LPR of the deceased state or the executor of the deceased state who needs to pay tax, not the eventual beneficiary. So what's the tax payable? Uh, the LPR will need to pay up to 15% on the tax element and the 30% on the tax element. So it's the same. However, mm -hmm. the taxpayer here is the LPR of the executor of the deceased state. The taxpayer is not the eventual beneficiary. So the eventual beneficiary doesn't have to worry about Australian tax. It doesn't matter whether they are residing in Australia or not. They are not the taxpayer here under the Australian rules. Um, well, it Again, it's LPR who is liable to pay tax. Yeah, but one thing we can't confirm, Craig, is that we don't know whether this payment made it to the beneficiary uh, from a deceased state. Um, was that the amount subject to foreign tax in a country that um, the eventual tax, uh, the beneficiary is residing? We, mm -hmm. we, we don't know. We can't confirm. So it's really important for the eventual beneficiary uh, to, to seek independent tax advice uh, uh, and their foreign rules. Right. Yeah, really important. And once again, you know, if this was uh, a payment to an Eritrean person living in Eritrea, don't call us because we simply don't know those tax rules. Um, is there anything else you wanted to finish up with? I think we've covered, um, yeah. Covered it all off? All right, terrific. All right, so for everyone, thanks, guys, by the way. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Linda. No problem. Craig. And for everyone else, if, if you've been listening to this and you and you want a bit of a, a top-up in relation to, you know, how does tax work, uh, tax rules work at beneficiary or via the estate, we actually do have a few different resources on this. We actually have an article available on our website that, lovely Linda wrote a couple of years ago and we also have a podcast on tax on super death benefits paid to the estate versus the beneficiary and that was dated 1 July 2019. Can you believe we've been doing podcasts 
since the 1st of July 2019, because that was one of the first ones we did. Um, I think I actually looked the other day, guys, we've got something like 78, 79 different podcasts through the Apple and Spotify apps these days. So if you're a listener and you want to go back and have a look uh, at some of those different topics, um, scroll away. Um, And as an additional, what we'll try and do is include links uh, to those podcasts, well, not so much the podcast, but the article uh, in the podcast apps. So it allows you to go straight to that article. Um, we'll see how we can do it. We're not, you know, we're technical people, but we're not technology people. Sorry, we'll try, but we'll have to see how it goes. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the podcast and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventius Investments Limited accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.